Let's open up our Bibles together now to Romans chapter 5. Romans is, is really a gift that just keeps on giving. We, we spent many, many weeks going through the early chapters of this book where Paul is detailing the need to be justified. To be justified uh, means to be made in right standing with God. And, and he, he shows us our need to be justified by faith alone, because we have no righteousness of our own. And he goes into great depths to show us exactly how desperate the human condition is, exactly how rebellious our hearts are, that we are at war with God, and he is at war with us. And, and just when we think we can't take any more, we get to chapter 4, and Paul begins to explain to us how we might be justified, declared righteous before God by faith alone, through no merit of our own, through no working of our own. And now as we come to chapter 5, he is beginning to show to us the benefits that accompany that justification. It's such glorious good news. And so let's read together now in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses. Last week we made it all the way through verse 1. This week we'll make it all the way through verse 2, which is an improvement because I thought we'd only make it halfway through verse 2, but I decided, well, you know what, let's cover the whole thing. Let's just be bold. Let's read together now. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you for your word, for this pure and precious gift that you have given to us, that through your word we hear the voice of our God. Through this, this perfect word, we are transformed by the power of your, speaking, your spirit, working through your word, transformed into the likeness of our Savior, even calling that which is dead to life. And I pray, Lord, that your word by your spirit would accomplish all of your good works this morning, that which we cannot do, that which only you can do, we pray that you would do. I pray for myself as I proclaim your word. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started looking at these benefits that accompany justification. These benefits that accompany right standing with God. When God saves a person, when God credits to a person Christ's own righteous status, 
causing us to be declared not only not guilty, but also credited with Christ's eternal perfection, that totally transforms a person. We're, we're made entirely new, with a new mind, with a new heart, with a new will, with new affections, and that justification has certain results. It has sure results, and that's what Paul's been showing to us here in these first 11 verses. We started looking at these sure results last week, these benefits, these blessings of justification. In verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have. Again, as we saw last week, this is a present tense verb. It means it's already our possession. Whatever it is that Paul is about to talk about here in, in these following verses already belong to those who have been justified, already belong to those who have been saved by the grace of God. They are the sure results of justification by faith. In other words, these blessings always accompany right standing with God. If you have been made right with God, then you have these benefits, these blessings as well. And so we saw the first one last week. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first blessing of justification is peace with God. As we've seen in the early chapters of Romans, this was not always the case. You are not born into peace with God. You don't automatically have peace with God. Formerly, we had no peace with God. We are born into a state of war with God. Implicated in Adam's sin, sinners by nature, sinners by choice. We were, Paul told us, God's enemies. We, we, we were, as we said last week, we were not neutral to God, and what's even more horrifying is God was not neutral towards us. Psalm chapter 5, verse 5, you hate all evildoers. Who's the you there? God. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation with the wicked every day. This is the natural state, and it is a horrifying state. So the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive, the most wonderful gift you could, you could ever get is peace with God. And this, friends, doesn't refer to a feeling of inner peace, some subjective thing that sort of comes and goes depending on how things are going with us. No, this is an objective fact. You have peace with God if you have been justified by faith. Christians have peace with God, whether you feel like you have peace with God or not in any given moment. You truly have been reconciled to him. You are no longer enemies. You are friends of God. So what this means is Christians need not fear God's judgment. This is a total transformation. Once we were under judgment with even greater wrath, Paul says in chapter 1, being stored up for our unrighteousness, and now this transformation happens in a moment where we are justified by faith in Christ, and now we no longer need fear judgment. Praise God for that. What better gift could we have? Now, on the other hand, some people feel like they have peace with God. So Christian, you have peace with God whether you feel it or not, but there are many people who feel like they are in peace with God when, in fact, they remain under his judgment. The human race is by nature at war with God, but many are ignorant of this. 
Many are blind to this. Many hearts are, are hard, and so they feel like they're at peace. They, they don't comprehend God's absolute holiness. They don't comprehend what, what could it possibly mean for God to be holy. In fact, in Scripture, thrice holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Then no concept of what that might mean. No concept of their own sinfulness and what it means to rebel against the almighty creator God who is thrice holy. No concept whatsoever. And so they feel like things are probably going to work out for them because they mean well. Paul's not talking about feelings of peace. He's talking about a change in our relationship with God. From enemies to friends. And not just friends, though, beloved sons and daughters. So the first benefit of our justification, as we saw last week, for those who have trusted in Christ, as we have moved from a state of hostility with God to a state of peace with God, total peace, perfect peace, Christ's own peace. When Christ gives his righteous status to the believer, the believer has the same amount of peace with God the Father that Jesus Christ has. You can't beat that. The war is over. God is for us. He is our Father. So the Christian is not left before God in some sort of fear that would make us cower or run from him. No, we approach him as our loving Father. We know that he is for us. So now we come to the second benefit of justification in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The second benefit we see, justification gives us access to our standing in the riches of God's grace. When we're justified by faith, we are given peace with God, and we are given access to the very gracious presence of God. We're even brought into personal relationship with him. So, so the ultimate goal of our salvation is, is this. It's to bring us home to the Father. It's to unite us to him as sons and daughters. This acceptance with the Father is a sure result of justification. We see this throughout uh, Scripture, but 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says, The ultimate purpose of our redemption was in bringing many sons to glory. This is the goal of salvation. We who were rebellious, wandering sheep, as we sang this morning, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We who are rebellious, we who wander, Jesus leads to the Father. We have no glory of our own. All we have is shame. All we have is sin. We have no righteousness. And we who are rebellious sinners, with nothing to commend us to God, Jesus cleanses. He, he in fact, gives to us. He doesn't just give it to us. Scripture says he robes us. He, he, he surrounds us in his own righteousness such that we are hidden completely in Christ. Not, not hidden in the sense that we have to hide from God, 
No, hidden, hidden means we're, we're covered fully. We're surrounded. We are in Christ. And so as far as God the Father Almighty is concerned, the righteous, holy judge, when he looks at us, we are spotless, without blemish, without wrinkle. We're actually fit to be in his presence. We who had no access No reason to think that if we stood before God, anything but the just condemnation we deserved would be laid upon our heads. We now are fit to be in the presence of God, not because of our own goodness, but because we are in Christ. It's because of his righteousness, not our righteousness. And more than that, because because our only standing with God is in Christ, we will always have a place in the presence of God. There's not a thing that comes and goes. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never cast us out. Because we are in Christ, we've been given permanent access to the gracious presence of God. Our standing with the Father is just as secure as Jesus' standing with the Father. I should give you some strength to keep going in this world. We, we know this is true. Because this is the thing that peace with God produces. Notice here in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access. What's the also referring to? It's it's a continuation of the thought in verse 1. So so remember, these are the things we have as Christians because of our justification by faith. So in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he continues, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. It's a package deal. If you have peace with God, you also automatically have access to God. But, but the order here is very important. You don't have access to God and then you get peace with God. You have peace with God and that gives you access to God. If you didn't have peace with God, you wouldn't want access to God. You'd be trying to get away from God. You'd not only fear him, you would still hate him. You wouldn't want him. In Romans chapter 3, verse 11, Paul says, no one seeks God. No one just automatically loves him and wants to be with him. Now, you hear a lot of people talk about how they love God, but what they mean is, I made a God up and I love that God. They're not talking about the God of Scripture who actually tells us what is right and what is wrong and what he desires and, and, and tells us what the consequences of our sin is. That's not the God they love. They love a God who's out there somewhere that does nice things for people and anything that we don't like couldn't certainly have been his fault. They love that God. Well, I love that God too. His name's Santa Claus. But no, Paul says no one, no one's seeking the true God. And as we've already seen, even if they were, he wouldn't accept them anyway. Without peace with God, it's not just that you see God as an enemy, he sees you as an enemy. You have no righteousness with which to stand before him. And so many people, of course, fight against that. Many people say that is a wicked and evil form of Christianity that is corrupt and destructive, and the only problem with that is the Bible, because this is what the Bible tells us is true. 
it's a way of thinking that has no understanding of God's holiness whatsoever. It minimizes God. It puts him at our mercy. No, we would have no standing with God whatsoever were we not given peace with God. But first, because we have received peace with God, now second, not only do we desire to come into his presence, we also have confidence that because of Christ's righteousness, we will be received into his presence. We will be welcomed into his presence. There's a lot of places I desire to go, but I'm not sure I'll be welcomed in. Driving down the road and you see a beautiful house and you think, I think I'd love to just live there. I won't be welcomed into that house. So not only do we desire to be with God, we know that he'll welcome us because of Christ's righteousness, but that's the only way. We've got to be robed in the righteousness of Christ. Does everyone get that kind of access to God that, that Paul's telling us about here? No, it only comes the one way. Paul says in verse 2, through him we have obtained access. These blessings, all of them that Paul's going to list out that we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, these are mediated blessings. They're not just ours by right because we're good people. These are mediated blessings. They come only through Christ, only as we are in him. The only way to have access to God the Father is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has an exclusive monopoly on access into a gracious relationship with God. All spiritual blessings flow in and through Jesus. And so Paul uses this word through. It's a little short word in the Greek, dia. It gets translated a couple different ways, seven different times in these 11 verses that we read this morning. All blessings flow to us from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. These blessings in these 11 verses include peace with God, access to God, permanent standing with God, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, the Holy Spirit's ongoing empowering work in our lives, the love of God, reconciliation with God and man, and the sure promise of the future fullness of salvation. But none of these come to us apart from Christ. They're not just ours by virtue of our being human. There's no salvation apart from him. There's no peace with God apart from him. Jesus says this, John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter understood this. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so now Paul says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith. Paul uses this word access a couple other places. He uses it twice in Ephesians. It's helpful there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. For through him, that's Christ, we both, that is Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3, chapter 12. In whom, that's Christ Jesus our Lord, he had just said, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And so through Jesus Christ alone, we can come again and again and again 
and again into the presence of God the Father Almighty and receive only grace from him. Isn't that good news? Even the best of fathers. I, I wanted to be the best father I could possibly be, but I suppose my kids didn't always know, depending on my mood, what level of grace they might actually receive from me in any moment. Well, not so with God. If we come to him robed in Christ's righteousness, we can come over and over and over with full confidence, as Paul says in Ephesians 3, that all we will receive from him is grace. Here's what that means. Not, not only is there no other way to come before him, we need not have any other way. We need not look for another way. Jesus is the only way. We don't have to pray to Mary or the saints. We don't need to have a priest as our mediator. Jesus Christ is our mediator. We come directly to the Father in the name of the Son, and that gains us access to the throne of grace anytime, anywhere, every day, every minute. I love this story that's told about something that happened during the Civil War of a southern soldier who was released from prison camp. He was too wounded to fight anymore, and they released him because they knew he was no longer going to be joining the Confederate Army. And he was seeking access to the president, seeking access to Abraham Lincoln to intercede for his brother, who was in a different prison camp. And because of his disability, his brother was now the only one that could support their elderly mother. And in those days, people had much more access to the White House than we've got. Uh, now, if you just try to knock on the door, you will get shot. Uh, in those days, you had pretty direct access, but he, he, they, the guards wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let him in to see Lincoln. He had no access whatsoever. Well, one day, Lincoln's young son, Tad, was walking near the White House, as the story goes, and he saw this wounded veteran sitting on the bench crying, and Tad approached him and inquired, what was wrong? Why are you so upset? And he told him the story. He explained to him how he wanted to see Mr. Lincoln, but the guards wouldn't let him in, how he had no access to intercede on behalf of his brother. And the president's son took the man by the hand, led him past the guards, who now all saluted as they walked past, and brought him right into the presence of his father. That's a story people love to tell. Whether it's true or not, we will not know the answer to. I didn't make it up for the purpose of this sermon. Friends, this is what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for us. We had no way to come into God's holy presence. But when we come to him in faith, he clothes us in his righteousness. He takes us by the hand, leads us into the presence of his Father. We have now access to God any time we want. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only means by which we have that access. There's no other way. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Paul says we have this access what? We have obtained access by faith. So here it is. Here's the sole prerequisite. We've not obtained access by our good works. We've not obtained access by our righteousness. We've not obtained access by our efforts or our traditions. It's by faith alone, 
in Christ alone that we are given access to grace. It's only by faith that we can come into God's presence. All other ways are shut. All other ways are rejected. All other ways only lead to more condemnation. No, it's only those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ who have any access to God the Father Almighty. And through him, we have full access. Notice the words Paul uses here. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace. I love Stephen Lawson's comments on this. He says, we would expect it to say access into the presence of God the Father. Instead, it says into this grace. What Paul is wanting to emphasize is that none of us have any claim in and of ourselves to come into the presence of God the Father. It is exclusively by grace that we come, and it is in this grace that we stand as we come before the Father. Grace, of course, is God's free, uninfluenced, unmerited, undeserved favor. This favor that he extends towards unworthy, undeserving sinners. And Paul says, this grace is the realm we now live in. We have permanent standing in this grace. If we really believed this, if we really believed the gospel, there would be zero arrogant Christians, by the way. But we haven't wanted to do that. Even in our churches, they say, don't tell people they're vile, undeserving sinners. That's mean. They'll never come back again. They'll go to a church where people don't say such mean things to them. What it produces in us is more of the same arrogance we see in the rest of the world. Now, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We only come by grace we only live by grace, and we will ultimately come into our glorification by the grace of God, and that is it. At no step of the way does it switch over to it being about us being great people. Paul, though, pictures God's grace as a realm in which we stand. He says these words, have obtained, and in which we stand, it implies past action. It's a past action with ongoing results. We have obtained this. We are standing in this. And so we have gained access and now have ongoing standing in the realm of God's grace. This word he uses here, stand, means solid footing. A place where we belong by right. I belong here. No one can move me out of here. We sing in the words of that great hymn, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no one can bid me thence depart. As long as Christ has standing in heaven, we have standing in heaven. As long as Christ has standing before the Father, we have standing before the Father. And no one can move us out of that. No one can tell us we don't belong. We have standing. It's right for us to be there. Ephesians chapter 2, 
Verse 4, Paul, after laying out for us in those first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2 exactly how despicable and vile our rebellious sin is, he says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus So that, verse 7, in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. Vile sinners, saved by the grace of Christ, are now given such eternal standing before God the Father that the whole purpose of this salvation was to bring us to God so that a billion years from now we would still be shocked and amazed at how gracious and mighty and glorious our God is. And the whole point is to just do that, to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. It is so that for eternity, we'll never get tired of it. We'll keep seeing it and seeing it. It will take eternity, all of eternity, for God to show us all of these riches which are inexhaustible and all of the blessings that come to us by a free gift of his grace in Jesus. God's plan in salvation is showing us the riches of his grace forever. Can you even imagine how awesome that is? I can't even wrap my head around it. And Paul's saying we have access to that grace right now. Oh yes, we await a further fulfillment of that glory, but we have standing in that grace right now. It is ours why Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 31, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, the answer is no one. And so the way to gain access to this permanent standing in God's grace is to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification by faith gives us peace with God, and this peace with God, because we are in Christ, gives us access to the surpassing riches of his grace. Charles Spurgeon says, when a man is at peace with God, he has the desire to draw near to him. When he is justified, he has the right to draw near, so that being justified and having peace, we have access by faith. This is not a transient privilege, but the grace into which we have access is a grace in which we stand, we abide in it. The Lord has given us, through our justification, permanent standing near to himself. Praise God. So what result should this have? What result should this have in the Christian's life? Because we we talk about this and the scripture says this and we read these things and we go, that's good. What an amazing, gracious gift this salvation is. What effect ought it have on our lives if we really believe 
what God has said to us here. Well, Paul ends the verse with this. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Friends, we live in a world right now where we need to know what it is we have to rejoice about. We need to know what it is that ought to give us hope so that we don't despair like the rest of the world. Note two things about this here. First, sharing God's glory is our certain future. For those who are in Christ, hope in the New Testament is not something that's uncertain. It's not like when we say, I've got plans outside tomorrow, I hope it doesn't rain. No, what Paul's talking about, when when he says hope, it is something that is absolutely certain. It is based on the promises of God, God who never fails, God who is watching over his word to perform it. So our hope is a matter of confident anticipation. It is based not on my righteousness, it is based on Christ's righteousness. So I don't have to fear that it may or may not work out well for me. On that day, when I stand before the judge of all the universe, I don't need to fear about how, will he understand why I did what I did in this situation? Will he know that I meant well? No, 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 it's Christ's righteousness, and so this hope is certain. What does Paul mean when he says hope in the glory of God? Two, two things, he eagerly looks forward to seeing the glory of God, first of all, in new, fresh ways. God's glory is the full display of his infinite splendor and majesty. It's, it's the fullness of the excellency of all that God is. That's what God's glory is when we see that in Scripture. It's what Moses asked to see in Exodus chapter 33, and God told him, no, no man could see this. No man could see God's true glory and live, is what God said to Moses. But in the new heavens and the new earth, we will see it. We, we will see God. It will be the most amazing thing we've ever seen. We will never get tired of it. We will never be able to fully wrap our minds around it. It is literally indescribable. That's why the second commandment tells us we are not to even attempt to make any kind of graven image of God. To make any image of God whatsoever is to denigrate God automatically. It's indescribable. And Christians ought to eagerly look forward to seeing God in his glory. And even beyond that amazing promise that we'll see God's glory, here's the, the, the even more astounding promise. We will share in God's glory. When we see God's glory fully, we will be conformed to his image. It doesn't mean that we're going to become God's. That's a wicked, false teaching. No, it means that when we are glorified, when we stand in God's presence, we will be free from sin. We'll be free from unrighteousness. We'll be free from every shortcoming. In that way, we will be glorified with him, and that is our certain future. It is a sure thing, written in stone for Christians. And so just a word to those of you who struggle with doubts about your salvation. Did you know that there are some individuals in this room who struggle with doubts about their salvation? You can tell which ones they are because they're breathing right now. You're not the only one. If you have those thoughts where you go, man, am I, am I even saved? 
Am I even a Christian? Do I have to be like really afraid about what the future holds for me? Almost every Christian, almost every Christian has doubts at some point about their salvation. Here's what we know from Scripture. We can have assurance. We can. We're not meant to be left in some suspended state, always wondering, always questioning, always fearing that we might lose our salvation. Just as salvation itself is a divine gift that we didn't earn and that we don't deserve, so too is our assurance a gift from God, a gift we can't produce within ourselves. Assurance isn't a state that we achieve It's a gift that God gives. And so while all Christians at some point have doubts and fears and questions, you need to know this. At some point, our constant doubting can become a sinful lack of faith in God's grace. A sinful doubting of the sufficiency of Christ's work to save his people. When we do that, what we're really questioning is God's word. He is the one who declares us justified. And so perhaps if you are constantly doubting, you need to take your eyes off of yourself. Fix them on God. What what makes us doubt? It's because we're constantly looking inward. We're constantly looking at ourselves. I can't believe that I'm in this place again. I can't believe this sin, which has been a part of my life for so many years, I can't believe again I did this. Friends, you need to take your eyes off of yourself. You need to fix them on God. Our hope is in his glory, not our goodness. It is in Christ's righteousness, not our righteousness. And we also need to soberly examine our lives. Paul also says that. St. Paul that gives us this message of our permanent standing says, examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. Our lives will testify truthfully about us. If your life is just marked by rebellion, disobedience, and sin, you have good cause to doubt that you ever received salvation in the first place. But if you have trusted in Christ, if you have been made right with God through Christ, if you are in Christ, then look to him. The answer in any case is to run to Christ, not inward to ourselves, to try harder and do more. Salvation doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. He has promised his people, this is our sure future, to see, to delight in, and to share his glory. And this isn't just a truth for us to grasp with our intellects. This confidence of future glory produces real joy right now in this life. Joy that we need. Joy that will sustain us. He says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice is one of Paul's favorite words. It literally means to boast in. To to glory in. To exalt in. It has this, this idea of both joy and confidence. I'm boasting in this thing. And so while it's wrong to boast in man, it's wrong to boast in ourselves and our efforts and our accomplishments, it is right to boast in God because he deserves all glory and all honor in all of eternity. It's it's right for us to boast in God. It's right for us to boast in the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. To rejoice in the glory of God, it's not just an intellectual affirmation of truth. Now, it's not less than that. You have to actually know the truth if you're going to believe the truth. But rejoicing in the glory of God is so much more than just mere intellectual assent. It is an emotional response that we have. Even in the face of trials, the next words here, and we need to hear this, we need to hear how these things relate to each other. What are the very next words in verse 3 if we had kept going? Paul speaks of our peace with God. He speaks of our access to God, our standing in his grace. And then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We need that in this world. We need to know there, there is a reason for us to have hope, a reason for us to have joy. Are you lacking in the joy of salvation? Here's the biblical solution. It's not to try and rev yourself up. Spend more time meditating on the hope of seeing and sharing in the glory of God. Think about who your God is. Think about what he has promised. It's likely if you are lacking in the joy of your salvation that your eyes are fixed on yourself and not God. Preach this gospel we see in Romans to yourself. Remind yourself of it every day, every hour, every minute. Remind yourself of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. I love what Spurgeon says. He says, it's not the doctrine of justification that does my heart good. It is Christ, the justifier. It's so easy for us to fix our eyes on ourselves instead of on him. Fix your eyes, friend, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're almost done. Let's also lay aside every weight, every sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what we need to look to him, to fix our eyes on him. Put your trust, friend, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian, whether you are self-consciously not a Christian, whether you think you're a Christian, but the Lord knows different, the answer for all is put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The final judgment and consummation that Paul is looking forward to is glorious good news for those who are in Christ. We need not fear. We look forward to it with great anticipation and joy, but it is not good news for the unbeliever. It is horrifying news. When God's glory is revealed, it will be too late for those who aren't justified. Friend, the time to put your hope in Christ is now. You must do that. You must trust in God. There's no other way to have peace with God but to be robed in Christ's righteousness. 
There's no other way to have access to God but to be in Christ, to come to him in faith alone, to put all of your faith, all of your confidence, all of your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work alone. I, I plead with you, the Bible commands you to repent. That just means to turn from your sin, to renounce it, to believe the gospel. And if you'll do that, here's the sure promise of Scripture, God will accept you. God will accept you, and it's not just that you won't be judged for eternity. All of these promises will be yours. It's not a matter of just eking by by the skin of our teeth. I always think back to my freshman year in college, biology class, and I had this large, stately, bearded biology professor, and I was so afraid I was going to lose my tennis scholarship because of how poorly I did in that class. So I went in at the end of the semester and I asked him, do you have our final grades tabulated? And he pulls out his book. He opens it up and he's kind of towering over me and he runs his finger down the page and he gets to my name and slides it across and it says D+. And he just looks at me condescendingly and goes, you got a D+. And I was like, yes, see you later. <laughs> we did it, guys. God welcomes no one into heaven that way. Now we come robed in the righteousness of Christ. We're welcomed with rejoicing, with song. No one ekes their way in. And as we've read, the whole goal here is that for eternity, God is going to shower you in the riches of his glory and grace. That's the offer. That's the offer. Why would we not? Why would we not run to him? Why oh, we not trust in his son, the one means of access into this grace? Amen? Let's stand up together. Almighty God, we confess that in our own we have no standing before you. We have no righteousness to commend us to you. No merit that could earn us anything with you. Yet in your grace and in your mercy... You sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, though he was tempted in every way just as we are, fulfilling your law perfectly. He did so in our place. He went to a cross where the guilt of our sin was placed upon him. The wrath for our sin poured out upon him. Where he was the fully satisfying, propitiatory wrath-destroying sacrifice for my sin, for the sins of all your people. And Lord, even more in your kindness, this same Jesus who has risen from the dead and sent his spirit to dwell in the hearts of his people has robed us in his own righteousness such that we can come before you without fear, but as sons and daughters who know that we will be accepted, that we in fact have standing with you and on top of all of that, you've promised to shower us with the kind of eternal blessings and riches, the kind of benefits that come from this free gift that you have given us, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the great things that you've prepared for those who love you. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your gospel. Cause us to live in awe of who you are, that it would give us hope and joy 
in these days. Not fickle joy, not fickle hope. True and solid hope and joy because it's placed on you alone. Cause us to look to Christ, to run to Christ, to take our eyes off of ourselves, to wholly surrender all that we are to you so that we can be faithful ambassadors in this world. I do pray particularly, Lord, for my friends in this room who don't know you, especially those who think that they do. But in fact, their hearts are far from you. I pray in your mercy and your grace by your spirit, you would now call them to life. Give to them the gift of, of repentance. Give to them the gift of saving faith. Give to them peace with yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Give to them access into your gracious presence. Cause them to be recipients of these same great blessings that you have extended to all your people, Lord, and we know that only you can do this. No, no convincing words on our part. No mantras we can repeat. Pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would do what only you can do. I pray for us as we go from this place. Lord, make us faithful. Make us faithful and bold ambassadors in this dark world, this world without hope, this world lacking in true joy. God, cause us to point to where real hope and joy can be found. Cause us to faithfully proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ who is king over all that he has made. Give to us courage and strength, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.